Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast, Episode 80. First off, I want to begin by saying a big thank you. Over the last couple of weeks, several of you reached out with kind and encouraging words about um, being happy that the podcast is back. And honestly, it, it always feels good to be missed and to receive those encouraging words. So thank you for taking the time to send those off to me. Um, Before we jump into today's episode, two quick things to share with you. First, I received emails from a few of you about the last episode when I shared about the work I've been doing over the last year and how that led to me not doing the podcast for a while. And you wanted to know, how can you learn more about the work I'm doing? Now, If you have not listened to that last episode, feel free to do so. And if your interest is piqued after you listen, then you can send me an email and learn more. And if you already did listen and you're wondering how can I learn more about the work uh, you are doing, then please feel free to send me an email. It's just michael at michael-hidalgo.com. And I would love to share more with you about the process that I'm taking people through as a part of my work and maybe how you can uh, jump into that work with me. Second, the Blueprint Retreat is coming April 22nd through the 24th, and people have been asking questions about it. And the first question that I received from a lot of people is, is this only for people who go to Denver Community Church? And no, it's not, not at all. Anyone can join with us. So we would love to have you join or bring someone with you uh, to join with us. And the other question I received was about more details. And somehow that wasn't on my website, but it is now. So you can go to my website and you'll see one of the icons says Blueprint Retreat, or you can go directly to it, michael-hidalgo.com backslash blueprint-retreat. And there are many details there for you, for you to learn more. And if you choose to register, you can enter podcast 10, podcast 10 in the discount code for a discount um, for the loyal listeners that you are. And we are still on early bird pricing until March 1. So this will be a further discount for, for those of you who are listeners of the podcast. So that is it for announcements. And now for today's episode. What is better than bitching? (laughs) And this is what we're going to explore together today. And and here's what I mean by that. There is, um, I would say, not even an undercurrent in our culture. Rather, there is a prevailing tide in our culture that seems to extol the virtue of bitching. And by that, I mean everything from complaining to calling out to canceling to tearing down to character assassinations. And it feels like it's everywhere, and it comes from every corner and every side of our socio-political and religious contexts. And I'm not sure any of us are immune. And so today, I want to explore what is better than bitching. Now, some seem to feel like there's nothing better than that. It's just the way it is. And not only is it the way it is, it is necessary if we want to see any real change in our current culture. Uh, Some may say something like, well, we have to say something because they, whoever they are, are harming others. Sure. But it might be helpful right at the start to realize 
that wherever we find ourselves on the religious or political spectrum, someone somewhere likely believes that you or me are harmful in the way that we think and believe. I've received emails that tell me that very thing. And I wonder, is bitching about that the best thing we can do? Several years ago, I was a, uh, doing a lecture, and someone in the audience, when it came time to the question and response, someone in the audience had obviously done some homework on me. And they referred to a podcast I had recorded some time ago and told me very clearly <laughs> that I was wrong and I was off base and I was misguided. They then went on to talk about their responses to injustices in the world and how they are committed to calling those out. And so I asked, well, how do you go about calling them out? And the person responded, well, I'm very active on Twitter. I then asked, and what is your hope in tweeting about injustice? And the person explained that their hope was to bring awareness to the problems And then they went on to say that most of their Twitter followers were those who agreed with their viewpoints anyway. But then they concluded it was still a very important thing to do. Now, as I listened to this person, I was reminded of President Obama's words when he said, and I quote, if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right or use the wrong verb, then I can sit back and feel pretty good about myself because man, You see how woke I was? You know, that's not activism. He continues, that's not bringing about change. If all you're doing is casting stones, you're not probably not going to get that far. This is what he said in a lecture, and these are the words that were in my mind because I couldn't agree more with him. And of course, There may be some who would vehemently disagree, both with President Obama and with me. And I say that because in our world today, in our current cultural moment, bitching and criticism are often mistaken for wisdom. And the larger the rock you're able to throw, the deeper the dig, the more cynical the mockery and derision is, the better. And when these sorts of things are coupled with a belief that we are doing this for noble causes, it's not only seen as wisdom, it's seen as righteousness. I recall once hearing someone say, people never behave as badly as they do when they believe they are standing up for God. People never behave as badly as they do when they believe they are standing up for or defending God. Isn't that the truth? And today, We have people who label themselves as conservatives, who fancy themselves protectors of the church, and they are ready to fight to the death to protect it. And from their platforms, they point at the heretics and criticize their theology and lob comments like, you're just throwing the Bible away. And at the very same time, we have people who label themselves progressive, who fancy themselves prophets within the church. And from their platforms, they point at those in power or in churches that are not like theirs and decry their sins, misgivings, and criticize their theology and lob comments like, you are oppressive. I mean, it feels like it's kind of two sides of the same coin. Both are bitching about the other who's not in the room. And meanwhile, those in the room or their followers 
applaud their words and actions because they believe the person speaking and, and they believe themselves to be righteous. And honestly, when there is a crowd around you cheering on your words, it's hard to believe that you might be misguided. More than that, it feels pretty good to destroy someone with our words. This is why the Jewish proverb says, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down into the inmost parts. Now, you may think to yourself, well, we're not talking about gossip. But let me define the way I think of gossip. Gossip is truth inappropriately told. Gossip is truth inappropriately told. And you see, some of the criticism that comes from all sides is in fact true. It's warranted. The things they are pointing out are true. But the way that truth is spoken is not appropriate. And it's not appropriate because it's so often laced with vitriol and hate. And when there's an air of arrogance in the heart of the one speaking, when it is meant to belittle the other and at the same time puff ourselves up, I would call that inappropriate. But we can't seem to get enough of it because the articles, the podcasts, the posts, the tweets, they are choice morsels. They settle down into our inmost parts. They are good to the taste. But here's an interesting thing. There is another way to translate that word choice. The other translation is wounds, which makes this proverb a bit more troubling because it suggests that the words of a gossip are wounding. The words of a gossip are wounding morsels, that they wound the other. And they do so in a way that is satisfying to us. And let's be honest. Are there not certain people in particular institutions that would be, well, it'd be nice to see them take a shot on the chin? Am I right? Are there people in your life that, if you're really honest, are there institutions in this world that, if you're really honest, it would be really nice to see them take a shot on the chin? And we have the power to do this, and we are doing it, and we are doing this with our words. Maybe this is why the sacred text, maybe this is why the scriptures are filled with warnings about our words. They are powerful. They can be building blocks or they can be wrecking balls. Words, as Abraham Joshua Heschel said, words create worlds. And it's possible we are not aware of the power we wield each and every time we bitch about someone or something. Jesus compared the power of ill-spoken words to murder. That's the power contained in them. And that's why we want to talk today about what's better than bitching. Now, I'm sure some of you are already thinking, well, we have to say something, right? And I would say, yes, of course, we have to use our voices. We have to use something as potent and powerful as words. But maybe there is a way we can use our voices that is helpful, that moves us all forward that can create a new vision for what is possible. 
And I do believe in the prophetic role we are called to. Naming evil when we see it, crying out for those who have been silenced, advocating on behalf of those who have been banned from a table to which we may have been invited. And these are important things, and these are necessary things, and it's possible that there is a way to do this without destroying others with whom we disagree. It's possible we can use our platforms and our words in a way that serves all of us. And by all of us, I mean you who are listening, I mean me, I mean us, and those who would disagree with us. And it may be able to help those of whom we speak. Now, I don't say this as though my words are 100% right, and if you or they would just listen to me, then everything would be better. But maybe if I can speak to others, if I can speak to all people with the dignity warranted them as bearers of the divine image, then maybe we will find ourselves at a table together, having real conversation, listening to and learning from one another, each of us growing in healing rather than holding up in our bunkers and firing shots at each other. Now, to be clear, I'm speaking to myself here as much as I'm speaking to anyone else because this kind of, of love and grace, it's not my default all the time. It's not my default to invite someone with whom I strongly disagree into conversation. My default is to argue them into oblivion and then go and tell others about how I absolutely crush them in a debate. But here's what I know for sure. I do not know anyone who has experienced real transformation because someone was intent on destroying them. I mean, seriously, just just think about it. Most of us live each day believing that most of what we think and how we see the world is, well, it's the right way to see it. I mean, really, we do. I'm not sure I know anyone who walks around each day thinking to themselves conscious thoughts that say, I'm pretty sure most of what I believe is probably wrong, and if someone was here to tell me how misguided I was, I would feel so much better. (laughs) Of course not. Without thinking, we just have the idea that we are on the right path. Now, there might be some things that need work, but for the most part, we're on the right path. And what causes that? Our backstory, our lives, our context, our nurture, where we grew up, our current zip code, our education, gender, sexual orientation, religion, relationships. In other words, the things that are very, very important to us, the things that make us who we are. So imagine then you walk around each day consciously and unconsciously holding certain beliefs about the way the world works, and then you hear someone berating you. You hear someone say, how could you believe that? Or you are part of the problem, and that makes you the problem. Or Whatever it is you believe, that's not Christianity, which means you are not a Christian. Or if you voted for that candidate, then how can you say you follow Jesus? Now, I'd love to say I'm exaggerating to make a point with all of those things I just said. But each and every one of those things are things that I have heard or things that I have read. And I want to suggest if 
any of those things were directed at you, there is zero chance you would think, wow, you know what? That person is making some really good observations. That is so helpful. I really need to take some time and rethink my cherished and deeply held beliefs. Of course you wouldn't respond that way. So what makes us think that bitching like this is going to change other people's minds in a way that leads to transformation and liberation? And if we are not interested in transformation and liberation, then what exactly are we interested in? It reminds me of a conversation I had with a friend of mine not long ago. She was talking about how she doesn't like the book of Jonah in the Hebrew scriptures. And she said, it's because I'm a lot like Jonah. She explained that she loves the preaching part, but not so much the God who shows mercy on evildoers like the citizens of Nineveh. And it really got me thinking because often when we look at Jonah, he's the reluctant prophet. He doesn't want to go, but God makes him go. And the lesson that often comes from that short book in the Hebrew scriptures is when God says go, you need to go no matter what. But but my friend, when she spoke, she shed light on another lesson from that book. Jonah had no compassion on the people of Nineveh. And really, who could blame him? Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, which was an empire that is best remembered by historians today for its brutal, disgusting, and horrific military practices. These people were geniuses, at torturing other human beings, and they celebrated it. They were a nation that personified in the ancient mind and in the ancient consciousness, they personified evil. So who would want them to be recipients of grace and love and mercy? Not Jonah. He even says as much because when he sees God's mercy on the city, he's angry. And this is what he says. He's speaking to God. He says, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And he's like shaking his fist in God's face going, how can you practice compassion? He's kicking the dirt and he's throwing a temper tantrum because God used Jonah's words, which by the way, if you know the story, is like the lamest sermon ever, but he uses Jonah's words to bring an entire city to repentance. You see, what Jonah really wanted was the destruction of those who perpetrated evil. But what God wanted was the redemption and liberation of those who perpetrated evil. And when my friend was talking about being like Jonah, I thought about our preference for condemning and canceling and and wondered, what's the motivation behind that? Then I thought about what my motivations are. Because if the book of Jonah teaches anything, it is that God is a God of concern and compassion and mercy. That stings, doesn't it? Because this same concern, compassion, and mercy is as true for you and me as it is for those that we believe are perpetrating evil. And what if we could name then, what if we could be those who, who can name evil 
and cry out against injustice and call out structures that harm people, but become those who do this from a place of concern and compassion and mercy. Is it possible that if this was the foundation of our words, that the words themselves may sound different, that the message itself might be transformed? Is it possible that our words might have a different motivation? Is it possible that we can speak in a way that both names the wrongdoing and expresses the invitation of grace toward those to whom we speak? And if we did this, is it possible that we might see greater healing and greater wholeness, both for ourselves and for others? I guess all of these questions really point toward a bigger question. Is that what we want? Do we really want this for those we deem as evildoers or perpetrators of injustice? Or are we, are we too like Jonah and we just want to see them destroyed? Tom McWhorter suggests that those who insist on bitching may not necessarily be interested in healing or wholeness or progress. He says, because if that happens, well, now what? He suggests that what those who are the loudest and most incendiary are actually about is not money and is not power, but purpose. And I mean, consider Jonah. What's left to do after the entire city of Nineveh repents? Maybe this is why he asks God at the end of the book to take his life. He has nothing left to do. What if McWhorter's observation is correct? What if it really is, it is about purpose and if things resolve or are healed or move forward or there's progress and wholeness that we would have a sense of, well, now what? You see, in all of this, I wonder, is there a better way forward? Is there something better than bitching? And I would say, I, I think there just may be. I've often said that the church is at her worst when we are the moral police of culture, but we are at our sparkling best when we act as a healing agent in it. Now, I say this again here because often our bitching feels a lot like people who are acting as the moral police of culture, calling someone out for an article they write, or piling it on someone when they say or do something wrong, or pointing the finger and foisting blame for particular problems on others. In this, there's like this demand for this ideological purity. And while what counts as morals may differ depending on which group you're speaking of, there are rules and morals and virtues and convictions represented by all sides. But we have to remember No matter what those may be for you or for me or for us or for them, there will always be people who think and live differently. So how then can we become those who are less interested in policing and more interested in being a healing agent in the world? Well, I have two thoughts as we head toward the end of the episode. First, I want to consider how we hold the things we believe that are important or how we hold our beliefs. For many people, we often think about what we believe, but we give less consideration to how we hold what we believe. 
Think of it in terms of a, of a container and the contents in the container. For many people today, especially those on the more progressive side of things who grew up in a religiously conservative context, there is a sense that their beliefs are different than what they grew up with. And if you fancy yourself progressive and you grew up in a conservative religious environment, your beliefs are different than the ones you grew up with. But if we consider how those beliefs are held, in many places, that has not changed. Here's what I mean. Imagine you had a container, something like a, like a Tupperware container, or a, I don't know, those plastic containers that you have at home, and you put some contents in there. So you bake some chocolate chip cookies, and then you put the chocolate chip cookies in the container, and you, then you put the container in a cabinet in your home, and then you forget about the cookies for a while. And then sometime later, you open the cabinet and you see the container and you open it and the cookies have been in there so long, now they're stale or they're moldy. And so you look at the cookies and you think, oh, this is gross. And so you dump the cookies in the trash and you wash the container and you put the container away. Then a few days later, you cook dinner, you all eat and there's some leftovers and you grab the same container that you put the cookies in, but now you use it to put the leftovers in there. Now, the only thing that is different is the contents. Once it was chocolate chip cookies, now it's leftover stir fry. What did not change is the container. What did not change was the way the contents were held. And maybe this is something that needs our consideration. Because it seems that whether conservative or progressive, while the contents are different, the container is the same. Meaning the way they hold their beliefs are similar. Because on both sides, all sides, there's a level of we are right and they, whoever they may be, are wrong. We are right, they are wrong. This is good old-fashioned religious dogmatism. On both sides, there's this legalistic bent. There is a demand that people keep arbitrary rules and one's willingness and commitment and ability to keep the rules shows their goodness. In other words, it's more about outward performance than what's actually going on in one's heart. If you can use the right words, if you can show up at the right rallies, if you can post the right things on Instagram or Twitter or whatever it is, well, then you must be a part of this whole thing. It doesn't matter what's changed within you. There is a desire on both sides to censor those with whom we disagree. And there's an unspoken agreement to listen to and to read from a rather narrow stream of people that serves to confirm and affirm our previously held beliefs. There is a sense that you can't challenge the system, that if you question assumptions, that's not welcome. And there is a certain hierarchy, or I would say a preferred rank, when it comes to whose voices matter most. Maybe what is needed is a new way of holding our beliefs. Maybe what is needed is a new container. And maybe this is the first thing we can do when it comes to discovering what's better than bitching.
Like, like, what would it look like for us to be curious about what others believe rather than assuming we know what they believe and what their motivations are? What would happen if we were willing and open for our beliefs and our presumptions to be challenged? I was talking with a friend the other day about new discoveries in space. (laughs) Yes, I'm totally a nerd when it comes to that stuff. And some of you are like, so when you hang out with friends, you talk about space. Yes, sometimes. And we were talking about how there was some recent discoveries of galaxies that seemingly have no dark matter. And then the other thing we were talking about is how a graduate student in Australia discovered an object 4,000 light years away from Earth that emits frequencies in energy every 18 minutes for one minute. And it's on, it's on the cycle of 18 minutes off one minute on, 18 minutes off, one minute on. And nobody knows what this object is. And so we were talking about these two recent discoveries and he commented how when scientists happen upon a new discovery, like a galaxy that seemingly has no dark matter, they do not reject their discovery if they conflict with their previous laws and theories. No, of course, not even a little bit. Instead, when a scientist happens upon a new discovery, like a galaxy without dark matter, they will immediately begin to question their previous laws and theories. Because what has to change when they happen upon a new discovery is the laws and theories that brought them up to that point. The way that they hold these laws and theories strikes me as very different as the way we hold our dogmatic beliefs about God in life, in culture, in the world in which we live. He commented how this sort of thing, these new discoveries, it's not a threat to the scientists, but actually seems to excite them. Imagine what it would be like to live like that. To be those who are less interested in protecting and defending our beliefs. To be less interested in attacking those with whom we disagree. And to become people who are more interested in what we have yet to learn. To be those who actually might be excited when we discover something that reshapes our previously held beliefs. Understanding all the while that we will never know everything. Remembering that there is a certain kind of freedom in not knowing. Understanding that maybe what we need is a container that holds things very lightly. That what we need is a container with less demands for strict adherence to dogma. And maybe in that, we can begin to live in a way where we hold our beliefs and we have a container that's life-giving and that leads us to greater liberation and greater discovery and greater understanding and greater growth. What if we change not only our contents, but our container? Second, if we are at our best when we act as a healing agent in the world, maybe we can ask, Where are we seeing healing and wholeness taking place in our context? And then we can ask, then how do we join in that? 
Richard Rohr says something like, the best criticism of the present order is the practice of the better. Let me repeat that. He says, the best criticism of the present order is the practice of the better. Maybe we can ask, how do we join the work in the places where we see people who are busy practicing the better? How do we not repeat the sins of the past But how do we become those who say, no, we're going to practice the better? It's interesting to me when I consider my friends who are doing incredible work here in the city of Denver and around the world. One of the things I've noticed about them is they don't spend a whole lot of time bitching. They spend a whole lot of time doing. Now, of course, They are aware of the inequities and injustice and systems and structures that uh, oppress. And of course, they are working to undo the things that cause the injustices as well, but they're doing that by building something better. When appropriate, they will speak out. They will name the evils. But so much of their energy is building and practicing something better. And... In so many ways, they're undoing the systems that cause harm because they're building something better. They're undoing those systems by building something better. Because by creating a better world through their work, there's this understanding that's almost unspoken that if we do this and enough people join with us, then the systems and structures that are causing the problems will eventually collapse because there will not be enough people in them to support them anymore. Now, this kind of living, by the way, is far more difficult. And it's more difficult and in some ways less satisfying because it doesn't allow for the kind of virtue signaling that bitching about others does. Instead, when you're doing the work, it puts, or I should say maybe it forces what is really inside us out. It puts what's really inside our hearts on display because it demands commitment and it demands perseverance. But this way of living is what ultimately will bring lasting, sustainable, much needed, and long overdue change to the injustices that are still happening in our world. And it does this in a way that bitching and complaining and calling out and canceling and tearing down and character assassinations will never be able to do. Acting as a healing agent, living a life that brings healing to our world, that is so much better than bitching. And perhaps a question we can ask ourselves is this, what am I doing? Like actually doing to live and act as a healing presence in my context. It does not have to be anything massive because if enough people are actually living and acting as a healing agent and a healing presence in our world, it will create something far bigger than any one individual. It will create something far bigger than any one of us. So what am I doing? Like, what am I actually doing to live and act as a healing presence in my context. Not living as the moral police of culture, not living as the moral police of the church, 
not living in a way where I'm making sure that everyone is towing my preferred line of morals and virtues. No, what am I doing? What am I actually doing to live and act as a healing presence in my context? What am I actually doing to invite people to participate in that kind of living with me? My prayer is that we will take time to consider these things, like really consider these things. That we will consider how we hold things, to to ask ourselves, what is my container? And to consider, what am I doing to be and become a healing agent in my context, in my world? And my prayer is that when we see those doing the work in our world, that we would join with them. That we would work to undo unjust systems by working together to build something and practice something that brings greater healing and greater wholeness into our world. That together, we would discover those things and come to see they are better than bitching. And with that, we come to the end of this episode. Our next episode I promise you, is one you will not want to miss. I'm going to introduce you to a a guy named Thomas Ord, and we're going to talk about his newest book about the centrality of love, and I look forward to connecting with you then. And until that time, as always, much love and peace be with you.